You know, maybe the reason that Bigfoot has not had a huge, big success, aside from, you know, the classic Harry and the Hendersons, maybe the reason that it hasn't hit that gold mine since then is because they have not been exploiting Bigfoot for the sex symbol he is. Perhaps they need to do like a Fifty Shades of Grey type movie with Bigfoot. No, fuck you, man. Welcome to the Dead Harvey Podcast. This is the podcast for both indie horror filmmakers and fans. We will be talking about the horror stories behind the horror stories, and we do not talk about the technical side of filmmaking, but this is all about filmmaking. We don't just talk about the cool shit that's out there. We also talk about how you get more cool shit out there. And ultimately, this is a community and we want to work with you guys. So if this sounds like it's for you, please find us at deadharvey.com. There you can subscribe, follow, sign up. I am Ted Stanford and this is Brad Paulson. And today uh, we are going to be talking about taking the first step in self-distributing Brad's film, the Suicide Poet. That is the main focus. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about what's on our radar, what we've been watching. And I'm going to talk about 30 Coins. Uh, have you been watching it? I watched the uh, I watched the intro of it, uh, which is great. Well, basically like the, the opening scene uh, where all the chaos happened. Yeah. Wanna, but uh, no, it's really cool so far. Um, I'm going to go back. I'll probably, since we're talking about it today, I'll probably go back and watch the rest of it. It's kind of cool because it seems like there's a couple episodes out right now and they're all sort of movie style length, about like 90 minutes each one. Yeah, they're pretty, I think they're 60, 70 minutes, something like that. It's on HBO. It's actually filmed HBO Europe. So, and it's in Spanish in a weird mm-hmm. form of Spanish, if I, if I remember correctly. And it's by this guy, uh, Alejandro de la Iglesia Mendoza. And uh, he came up as a comic book artist. Um, nice. every, everything he's done, everything he's done is, is um, Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one kind of crossed over and he seems to have a real penchant for religious horror. Yeah. Uh, which is cool. I mean, that's a cool, yeah. I've always been kind of taken by it ever since I saw I the too, Exorcist. Yeah. 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 Like the Exorcist as a kid, I was just like, it's kind of, there's something extra creepy about it because it, it, it's kind of like paranormal, but, there's this reality base to it because you have all this lore around religion. Um, yeah. So it's basically, he's a badass priest is the main character really. And he's like a boxer too. In fact, in later episodes, he like kicks the shit out of a few people. Um, but he's almost like, uh, it, it's pretty neat because so he's a priest and everyone in it like is, is religious to some, some extent, but, a, it starts off with he's almost looks like a villain because he's this badass, grizzled priest that gets sent here because he's done something wrong. Uh, but so you think he's bad, but it turns out he's actually the good guy. And then a lot of the other priests, eventually he goes to see the Pope. That's where I'm at. And I think the, mm-hmm. the rest of it. And, and there's a lot of evil within it. And, the, and part of the whole thing is this battle between good and evil. And I think that's what makes religious horror kind of cool, right? Is yeah, this, absolutely. It, it, it does it. So, um, what I thought was really cool is so I, I researched the this Alejandro de la Iglesias Mendoza a little bit to see. And his first film was something called Day of the Beast. And the 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 basically the log line of it, I was like, well, shit, I gotta look this up. So the opening of Day of the Beast was one priest looks to another priest and, and, and tells him that he's doing as much evil as possible so this one priest is just doing as much evil shit as possible and this other priest comes out to him and is like well why are you 
why are you doing all this? So the priest whispers to him, but why he's doing it. The other priest then agrees to help him. And shortly after he agrees to help him, a massive cross falls and lands and kills the other priest. Whoa. <laughs> and like, if that's the opening scene of, of day of the beast, it's like, wow. Okay. I, I got to check that out because 30 coins is pretty awesome. There's cool shit. There's like this Lovecraftian monster in the first one. And they kind of play with different stuff. There's mm-hmm. like this mirror episode and like they go all over the place. So it's almost like uh episodic where each one they deal with a different problem, but they have this overarching thing and it's really cool. Um, anyhow, totally worth seeing. Um, and I love the, the religious horror aspect of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool show originally HBO Europe, but it is running on HBO right now. So I would, I'd recommend people check that out if they can. That's what's on my radar. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. That sounds great. No, I'm going to check out the rest of it. I definitely liked, uh, I definitely liked the opening. I watched about 20 or 30 minutes and then, and then, uh, but I, I plan on going and watching the rest of them. Cause I was like, this episode's a little bit longer. I'm gonna have to come back to this. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're worth, they're worth it. And I mean, I, yeah, religious horror is kind of cool. Like, I feel like if you think about it, you get a bit of a flyer on religious horror too. Like there's a lot of movies that aren't even that good that do well because they deal with nuns and exorcisms and stuff like that. I think people really like them. So um, if you're thinking about paranormal movies or doing shit, like throwing in the religious angle always helps. And yeah, I grew up in the church, so it, it gives me it gives, it hits me in the primal, <laughs> primal level all, a little bit. Yeah, but it's good with imagery too. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, oh yeah, absolutely. It, 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 that shit is creepy, right? Like, there's a lot of shit with it that's really creepy. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had like ex, like uh, an experience with with the Ouija board that freaked me out so much, where I felt like this. Um, dark cloud come over me and i was like i'm not fucking around with the ouija board ever again and i was like this is what like this is what these people in these horror movies must feel like when something terrible is about to to kill them something supernatural when they feel the presence of the supernatural but it definitely has a yeah definitely like exorcist is like that too i mean that's why that movie is so freaky it's it's the it's the fear of the unknown that we have a connection with since we're little, especially if you're raised in the church. But. Yeah, it's true. It's why it's like you have a connection. You you feel that part of this is real because there's a connection yeah. to it. Like you've been told the stories, and then to twist it upside down and, oh, yeah. and, and mess with it is it's it's just good stuff. It's good imagery. Yeah, it's and, and oddly they do have a Ouija board episode later on. There is a, <laughs> yeah. So so uh, so keep watching. So uh, that's what's on my radar. What have you been? Uh, what have you been watching? So I watched uh, the movie made by. Uh, one of your fellow Canadians, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Cronenberg, who is the son of David Cronenberg. And because I've been out of the loop a little bit, it's great because I've been really getting into horror a lot lately. And you know, once we started doing Dead Harvey again, I mean, I've been watching consistently throughout, but I was ever since Halloween now, I've just like been on a roll and just I'm watching horror movies almost every day. I just love it. Mm-hmm. But it's, 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 uh, it's renewed my, it's renewed my love for the genre. But um, so he actually made another movie called Antiviral, which yes, because I was out of I missed. And I thought I remember hearing about that before. And then I was looking at some of his other stuff and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Have you seen uh, his other one? I've, like, I've, seen it, I've seen Antiviral and it's actually really good. And I think I actually okay, saw cool. it only because it's David Cronenberg's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually could did not see uh, Possessor, oddly. I, I, I found the trailer, but well, I could have seen it, but you you were like, ah, it's 99 cents. And I looked it up, it was five bucks. And I was like, yeah, oh, they must uh, have moved it. They they have these things for like a week if you're on 
uh, iTunes or um, Amazon or Voodoo. Like they'll have a lot of these specials that are like for one week only or Apple TV. They're like, you know, another one that's good. Yeah. Google Play. If you get the Google Play app, uh, they every once in a while throw 99 centers up there too, which is which is pretty good. And I'll, like I saw it and I was like, ah, I won't pay five bucks, but I will check it out eventually. Yeah. So this movie is like um, it's classified as body horror. So like body horror types of movies are kind of like his dad made, you know, like with scanners or if you look at video drum where you have, yeah, where you have these grotesque things uh, happening to like the human body distorting, contorting, or in this one, in this case, it's basically, it's about a corporate assassin that goes into an implant in somebody else's head, takes over their, takes over their body, gets them to kill somebody and then gets them to kill themselves. And then the person that's controlling the assassin takes them out. So basically they they visit them subconsciously and then their subconscious goes back to the assassin's body. If this makes any sense. Um, and then, well, I, and then, it does and make they, sense. And then they get woken up, but it's a fantastic idea, but then they get woken back up. And so the more people that they assassinate, the more they sort of linger on to memories of those people and get confused about like what their own identity is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, but this, it's really cool. And he definitely this of course has is the same. This of course is the same plot as naked gun. The same plot as Naked Gun, where they were turning uh, innocent people uh, into assassins by brainwashing mm-hmm. them, which ended right. with Reggie Jackson being the assassin trying to trying to kill the queen <laughs> at the end, if you remember correctly. Exact, <laughs> I remember that. Exact same plot <laughs> yeah. as Naked Gun. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe they got their inspiration from it. But he has his dad's talent for um, disturbing you. And mm-hmm. like the whole like like the movies like The Brood that get under your skin or Video Drums fantastic. I just watched Video that drum. again the other the day. The Fly, The Fly. Oh, The along. Fly. Yeah, I was thinking actually initially when I watched this, this would be a great double feature with his dad's movie, The Fly, because that's another great body horror movie. Um, that's yeah, the, the Fly remake that he did is fantastic. But yeah, he definitely has um, his dad's instincts when it comes to horror like the way that he does like the pacing how it sort of like has this creepy undertone that just sort of builds and it stays with you after you watch it but it's definitely uh it's definitely a good recommend and it's something unique which is cool aside from the fact that it might have been ripped off by naked gun (laughs) well there's well there's two things that i can think about one well first off the body horror stuff yeah his dad's obviously like the, the two of them body horror is like creepy in itself but the other level of this is it's really invasion of the body snatchers too, right? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I think at a primal level is a super creepy thing of losing control of your own body. And uh, to tap into that uh, is, is yeah, but that's just creepy in general. Like I always, I always found that I, as a kid, I remember watching invasion of the body snatchers as a kid and just thinking that's the creepiest concept. And I think there's actually, there's a lot of films about that where it's like, this isn't the, that's not him or that's not you in that body and kind of taking over your body a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's a cre- it's a creepy concept. Uh, the other thing is like, so I, I noticed that uh, Possessor is, is financed or produced by Telefilm. So Telefilm is a Canadian entity, which the US, the US does not have an entity like this. A lot of other countries do. Uh, and it's basically a film entity and they finance uh, Canadian productions. And it's actually one of those things that there's what sucks about it is that they have 
people that they want to work with. Like obviously mm-hmm. a Brandon Cronenberg is going to be able to go in there and say, Hey, I'm David Cronenberg's son. Uh, we have this idea and the, their telefilm is going to be like, Oh my God, we want to finance this film. And it's very tough to break in. I've met with telefilm a couple of times on certain projects and they're basically like, they have X amount of dollars that they allocate to just Canadian productions to keep Canadian productions, Canadian. And there's, there's certain aspects you have to take to it. Um, uh, they call it CanCon to the Canadian content that you have to tick certain boxes and then they're like, Hey, here's your money, but they only give it to certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do what's called co-pros, uh, which is a co-production. So telefilm says, Oh, find another, uh, production company or they'll do a co-pro with Ireland. Like you'll see certain movies where it's telefilm and then the Ir- Ir- Irish want to do it. But this is a telefilm, uh, product which means they gave it financing and when you actually look at the amount of production companies involved in it that's typically how these work so they'll they'll find a, a distributor in canada that'll pre-buy it and give them okay we'll we'll, we'll pay two hundred fifty thousand for the rights to it and then telefilm says okay great we're going to give four hundred thousand dollars towards it and then they pre-sell it in a bunch of places and then they do the tax credits that you get here that you also get in different states like that's why you see so much shit filmed in um like say New Mexico is because they give huge tax credits. So they, they yeah. give money, money back. So all of a sudden when telefilms involved, you get some other people involved, they have to raise very little money to actually get it made. And the positive of this is you get to see movies like this that otherwise wouldn't get made. Um, uh, the negative is it's pretty hard to, to, uh, to find, but what, what it's hard to get into, like, it's hard to crack into because they only give it away to certain people. But I noticed that when I looked at it, the telefilm was, was, was on this and that's, that's what they do. And I, and it, it's a net positive because you get to see movies like this and, 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 you know, you wish that other people had programs like this that just financed films for the sake of seeing more films, especially yeah. when they're horror films, right? Cause typically there's some drama that no one wants to see. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so no, that's cool. I definitely want to check it out. Concept's good, um, and hey, it's 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 David Cronenberg's son, and, and I, yeah, he actually used what I noticed right away too is that Jennifer Jason Lee is in it, and, and uh, one yes. of one of the last like really freaky uh, of his father's movies was Existence, and mm-hmm. before he started doing mainstream stuff like History of Violence, it's still like with Edge, but it's definitely more mainstream and not as weird as the stuff he used to do. Uh, but that was like the last like kind of like bonkers movie he did. That I yeah. Oh, you know, what's interesting about the telefilm and the, and the tax credits you get here is that you have to, when I said CanCon and the Canadian content, you have to have a certain amount of Canadian, like it has to be like these certain people have to be Canadian. So the actors, a certain level of them have to be Canadian. Yeah. And uh, the one that ends up in a lot of movies is Michael Ironside because he's Canadian. Oh, hell yeah. We talked about yeah. Michael Ironside before. He's great. We talked about him before. Yeah. And that's why in Turbo Kid, he showed up in Tur- like, like uh, there's certain actors that are mm-hmm. that, that are Canadian that these guys always go after because it ticks the box for CanCon. But Jennifer Jason Lee, I don't think is Canadian, but you, you, I guarantee if you look at the other actors, they're all like, yeah. I think it's 80% of lead actors have to be Canadian. The director has to be Canadian. The writer has to be Canadian. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of cool. That No, that's a, um, I got to check it out. I uh, wasn't going to pay five bucks, but maybe now I will. Uh, so now let's get to the main uh, portion of what we're going to talk about today. And that is this season, we are going to look at self-distributing Brad's film, The Suicide Poet. Um basically because it's the one film that brad has right now that he retains the entire rights to as as we get rights to other ones i think we'll look at this again but i think it's a good practice for us to kind of go through it so brad and i talked about what would the first step be at at this stage 
Now, oddly, this is a step you might actually do before you film, like when you're actually sitting down and talking about creating it. But it is um, thinking about the audience of the film and thinking about brand assets. Um, so you would look at the film and say, okay, who is the, the target audience for this? And when, when I talk about brand assets, uh, that's like, hey, do we have a presence on social media? Uh, do we have a website? And a website can just be like a landing page that's just has a trailer and some information and says, hey, this is how you reach us. And you want what's called an EPK. An EPK is an electronic press kit. It's essentially a bunch of stills, a bunch of words, a log line and all this shit that you have in it that if anyone asks, you're like, here's my EPK. And I would think those are the bare minimum you want to put yeah. together. About those so, press kits real quick. When I was a, I used to review movies for my local paper and they used to send me the press kits. I actually, the press kits were so cool. This is before it was electronic, but they just mail them to me. The press kits were so cool that I actually like those more than almost more than watching the movies. <laughs> yeah. And you're also that, 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 that EPK um, is good for sending to distributors. It's good to send to film festivals. It's your so that that's what you send to everyone. I think you, you probably start to hear that. And if you Google around, you can see that you, it's pretty easy. You can just put an EPK and, and you'll find a bunch of examples on it, but it's, it's a, it's a short, pdf that's just going to have the basic information about your film and everything and, and it's basically supposed to hype you up on why you want to see it or why you want to buy it or why you want to put it in your festival but i would think those three and then typically what's going to happen is if once they do that i think now nowadays especially they're going to look and say okay where is it online i need to watch the trailer i need to watch whatever that's why you kind of have one have some sort of presence online and I would say you want social media just because if anyone is interested in it, they gotta follow you. You want to know, you want to know your audience, and they want to follow you. So I think it all starts with who's the audience for the film, and then it kind of comes out from there because you're going to tailor everything for that. And, and realistically, this is something like I think if say you're just looking for a film that you know is going to get out there, you might be like, there's some weird stuff you can do, like going like Google Trends. And you can just look what's trending, what's what's hot right now. And you can find and search around, look on Amazon, look on places and, and find out which type of things are trending. And then if you know there's an audience for something like Bigfoot, for example, yes. say it's Bigfoot, say Bigfoot's trending. And you know, there's a big audience for, for, for Bigfoot, like go on Facebook and look for Facebook groups around Bigfoot. You're like, hey, there's a big audience for this. Then you reverse engineer and say, okay, I'm doing a Bigfoot movie. Um, in this case, like that doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes an idea is just an idea. And you have to think afterwards who it's for, like in this case. Uh, but like, like right now, the first thing we do is like, who's the audience for Suicide Poets? So I think we've talked about it before, but like, give us the, give us the synopsis on what, on what Suicide Poet is. And then we can kind of talk about who it might be the audience. Okay. So this is basically the gist of it is, is, uh, is uh, how this guy contemplates, dark thoughts after he gets his leg cut off so basically he's confronting negative thoughts he's confront confronting uh feelings about suicide he's doing it through comedy so part of it is sort of spoken word this poetry that he had written and then the second and then the other part is like on the street interviews so spoken word and then kind of like man on the street interview like half of each one is is that so it's definitely niche special interest uh, it's definitely a documentary. I mean, but also a lot of it isn't necessarily as like, hey, who's going to buy it? But a lot of it is like, well, what's the trailer going to look like? What's the theme or how am I going to position it? Right. Like, how am I going to like knowing that who you want to get it in front of when you're talking about the EPK, what are you going to do? Like for me, suicide's a big thing in this, right? Because it comes up quite a bit. 
and also like mental health potentially, right. but it's also right. dark comedy. So you'd want to look right. at it. I mean, mm-hmm. You want to look into what, where might it actually get some traction and, and, and mental health is a big, big deal right now. And I think there's a lot of, you know, trends around there and a lot of ways you can get information out there. I don't know what you're uh, talking about. Everybody is completely well balanced. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, because of all the mental health content that's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so like that, that's where, like when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, how are we going to get there? Cause realistically, it's not really a horror. It's dark. It yeah. is a documentary, but you know, what kind of angle would we take with it? And I think everyone's got to do this. Like, like, like you said, like at the beginning, when we're talking about 30 coins or, or, or possessors, like 30 coins, what's a religious horror. Okay. Well, we want to look at like other religious horrors. How did they do it? What's the themes? What did it look like? Because we want to position it a certain way. And, uh, with this you would sit there and say okay um yeah i think like like that whole mental health issue and and dark humor is kind of where you want to go so you want to have that kind of theme throughout it now having said that do you have a trailer done for it i do yeah i need to recut it the trailer is a little bit long it's about two and a half i could i could cut it down to under two minutes i think so yeah because i think that would be the first step we got to do before we look at anything else it's like okay let's cut it let's cut a trailer Let's think about who the audience is, and when we're, we we know that we want to take this dark comedy mental health uh, angle, uh, that like the way we write the log line, the right, the way we write the EPK, and the way we put together that landing page is all going to reflect that. So when we when we when they land there, that's what they're going to do. So I would think like like our first steps here, and this is for anybody if we finish the film, go through this process. Who's it for? And yeah. like like you think about it when you when you when you watch something. Like that's why like action movies. That's why sometimes you actually see trailers will be cut different ways when they're trying to attract different yeah. audiences. Oh yeah, yeah. They'll like, do the date movie the- trailer. They'll do the the action movie trailer. They'll do the dramatic trailer. So I remember I had a friend that worked at a at a post house where they. That's basically what they did. They used to take mm-hmm. like he used to get all these tapes and they would send him six different versions of the same trailer. Yeah, and you think about it, what they're doing is they're 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 saying, okay, like what are the different angles? What are the different audiences? Okay, that we think this is a date movie, we think this is also for guys, we think it's for this. And then they cut a trailer for each audience. And then when they're placing that that in front of like back then, they would have been placing it in front of another movie. Yeah. Uh, because that would have been that audience. They're like, okay, if it's an action movie, there's gonna be guys there, so give them the guy trailer. Oh, yeah. this is a date movie over here. We'll put the date trailer over in front of there. Right, and, yeah. and, and, and it's no different than it is now. So how you're cutting that and how you're making it look, because if you're placing it, say you're doing digital ads or you're doing, you're getting in front of people or you're putting it in, a, in front of a certain audience, you're going to give them the content that's geared towards them. So I think it's something you got to think about. And it's like, it's a hard conversation because sometimes like this, it's just we, the, the the opportunity to film it was there. So you go out and film it. You don't know who your audience is. And now you have to kind of reverse engineer who your audience is. And, well, this and, is actually good because it will be a good challenge on figuring how to market this movie. So it's not something that's like instantly is obvious on how to. Um, but it's good because that that yeah. means it's gonna it's gonna give us some obstacles to overcome, and then we can then we can share that and find out the best way to market it. But exactly, so I think that's where I think the first step with this is. I think everyone needs to think about this when they're when they're putting together a film, whether it's before, like whether you have no idea, like you just sit and go, "What should we do?" 
if if that's the case, I would sit there and go, okay, what's the most popular shit right now? Let's do something in there because that's where we should do. And you can you can you can flesh it out from there. Like that's the Bigfoot. Bigfoot's hot right now, so let's make a Bigfoot movie. Then if you go down a, a wormhole on a on a on a film, you know, gear it towards existing stuff, or you just have an idea, reverse engineer it. But you've got to think about who that audience is because that yeah. that audience has to drive how you your wording around it what what it looks like how the trailers cut what the what the site looks like and and, and who you're trying to reach because right now like facebook for example if you create a facebook page for the film it's pretty easy to, to, to like boost like like say okay i'm going to try to reach more people to find interest in my film mm-hmm. well there's targeting within that like if you know that this is a mental health thing that's going to be a, a, a attract a certain audience you're not going to go to you know, 60 year old men who play tennis, right? Like, right. like, so, so you want, you need to think about the audience because everything needs to be geared towards them. And the, and the, the more and more we get into the digital age, this is, you need to think more and more about these sort of niches and, and how to market it. So everyone needs to think about their, who their audience is and who their audience is, is going to drive these really basic brand assets around the film. Yeah, and you know that made me think of something about Bigfoot when you were talking about marketing <laughs> for Bigfoot. Um, you know, maybe the reason that Bigfoot has not had a huge, big success aside from you know the classic Harry and the Hendersons. Maybe the reason that it hasn't hit that gold mine since then is because they have not been exploiting Bigfoot for the sex symbol he is. Uh, Perhaps they need to do like a Fifty Shades of Grey type movie with Bigfoot. Fi- no, they like did that fi- with. Uh, remember the. <laughs> Remember the Grinding Nemo movie they made that won an Oscar? Oh, uh, it was well, <laughs> everybody called it Grinding Nemo. It was the Gilmore del Toro movie. Oh yeah, uh, um, the, the something of water. Uh, the shape of I water. Know, the shape yeah. of water. I, I I saw that in the theaters because I yeah I, she I, falls I, in I, love I, with a with a fish person, <laughs> and then they have sex, yeah. and then it seems like it's like totally normalized. Well, again, and I, yeah, and again. <laughs> yeah. When you think about that, who's the audience for that? It's kind of weird because, like, I'm apparently a, the Oscars like, are the audience for that. <laughs> well, and you know what? I don't think that's wrong. Actually, because I, like that, I don't know how because I it was about freaky. It. it was weird. I don't know how I felt about it. Like, I went with my <laughs> I went with my wife, and she was like, "What the fuck are we watching?" Yeah, uh, uh-huh. because it's not like it should be on paper. If, if it wasn't mm-hmm. a sea creature, it could very well be like a, an actual date movie. But because it was a sea creature. <laughs> like it, 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 it is funny. The other story I wanted to bring up because mm-hmm. I was like, you talk about movies that don't like. What's the audience for it? Yeah. I, I've, I think I brought it up before, but I ended up drinking with the guy who's the writer director of Mannequin. Uh, yes, like um, and Mannequin. Fantastic movie. I don't think anyone remembers it now. So if you're younger, you're not going to bring it up. But Mannequin, I think in the '80s, it was probably the '80s that it came out. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and I remember seeing it as a kid, thinking it was fantastic. But I thought I was I was in a bar in LA waiting uh, on a friend of ours, and so I ended up sitting at the bar because he was late for like two hours. And I started chatting with the guy next to me. It turns out that he was the writer director, the guy who came up with the idea for Mannequin. And he said he was depressed and he was walking the streets of New York in the rain and he looked in a window, he was staring at a mannequin and all of a sudden he had this vision of it coming to life. And then he got the idea for the movie about the mannequin coming to life and having a love story with the guy who worked in the, in, in, in the department store. And therefore mannequin was, 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 was built. Like it was, it came out and that was it. It was a hit movie to, to think about the audience for that. Like now, 
Like A, I don't think that film gets made, but B, no. could you imagine could you imagine it's like, hey, we just finished a film. It's about a mannequin. It's a love story between a guy and a mannequin, and he thinks the mannequin's coming to life. It, it, it's who is the audience for this? Like who like it's interesting because marketing has become such a heavy portion of filmmaking. And back then it used to just be like, yeah, let's make let's, this is a good idea and let's see if it finds an audience. Yeah. Now you need to know your audience before you even take step one. And like back then, like I think about that mannequin one. It's like honestly, like could you imagine being in the room when they're pitching that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the eighties. Anything goes, and it seemed totally like nowadays that movie would be way too overanalyzed, um, and it would be like people just wouldn't. I mean, back then in the eighties was great about in the eighties. People didn't analyze stuff like they do now, and it was just fun. But that just couldn't happen anymore. Um, but yeah. but uh, I do. I love the movie Mannequin, and actually. I have the double disc. I have Mannequin and Mannequin 2 on the run. Seriously. So to watch that, that later is, as a tribute to your Mannequin story. So, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's just so, I mean, and the whole point of all that is when you think about the idea the, on the audience move, on the run, yeah, on and the move, like right now they do think about that whole, like, who's the audience? They think about mm-hmm. it before they even do it. Um, but yeah, like I always think about that Mannequin. There's a bunch of stuff that came out then. But I, <laughs> I, I drank with this guy and I was like, how cool is it? that you basically have this moment you come up with an idea like on your own and you're just like fuck it let's make a movie and the movie becomes a hit yeah i i just don't think that that process happens anymore of 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 just like random idea nowadays with hollywood they have to cater to every quadrant kind of like you were talking about before in the 80s they had much more kind of free reign this is a goofy comedy it could sort of sort of kind of be more more niche and then people would just accept it or go along with it become a big blockbuster thing but now everybody's too afraid studios are too afraid so they have to cater to every single market yeah. And then it's sort of, that's how everything becomes so sanitized. Yeah. And to tie it back to the first thing we talked about, about Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor and how it was financed by Telefilm, entities like Telefilm uh, allow these type of films to get made because they don't care. They're just going to finance them because it's film and they want to keep film going. So that's where they have this positive. Now, having said all that, when you're distributing a film on your own, Knowing your audience is going to a save you a lot of money and time because you like if you try to put the your movie in front of the wrong audience and it doesn't resonate, that you're setting yourself up for failure. So Mm -hmm. knowing exactly who you who your audience is and then catering everything to that audience as best you can is going to set you up for success. And so that's what we're doing here. That's our first step. With um, I think that's our first step. So we're going to work on that um now before we, we before we go on so we're gonna thing. market it as a bigfoot movie as we're a bigfoot movie. Yeah, <laughs> a, can can we add bigfoot in any way maybe subliminal images of, subliminal of images maybe subliminal like they live style of, of bigfoot in the background so we'll just sink into whoever's watching the trailer sets to watch it so yeah, you like missed a, Subliminal brainwashing CIA tactics. You missed the boat when you set this one up. It's like, this is great, <laughs> yeah. man. I know you're depressed. I know you're losing your leg. I know, you know you got this idea, but how can we put Bigfoot in it? Yeah. Instead, I was just like, he goes, hey, I got my leg cut off. You want to follow me around with a camera and I'll talk to people on the street about suicide and read you some dark poetry? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. I got nothing going on today. Uh, so. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. I think that's... yeah. Um, 
that's it. That's our first step in this. So hopefully you guys uh, can take something away from that. But thinking about your audience and thinking about your brand assets is probably the yeah. first step. Is probably the first step in doing this. So um, yeah, that's it. Next episode, we're going to take the next step into it. We're going to talk about what you would do after you've set this all up. So um, tune in with us uh, next week to do that. And if you've made it this far, congratulations um you're probably a like-minded individual so i would encourage you to go over to deadharvey.com uh we want to work with you guys you want to work with filmmakers distributors agents media companies whatever we want to get more indie horror out there we want to get more indie horror made we want to get more people watching indie horror um so to do that it, it would really help if you followed us and subscribe subscribe to our e-newsletter reach out and uh and we all work together so uh stick along for the ride